Happy Monday afternoon. This is John Barrows with J Barrows Consulting. I hope you all had a fantastic weekend. I had one of those weekends of doing absolutely nothing, which was fantastic. But that said, I am super excited to have not only a good colleague of mine, but a good friend of mine on today's Make It Happen Monday. Roderick, what's going on, my friend? How you doing, brother? I'm great, JB. How are you, man? I'm doing fantastic, man. So, uh, Roderick, we've known each other for how long at this point? God, I, we're coming up on a decade now. It's I think so. Yeah, I mean, because it's been, it was ever, it was, it was the acquisition of, was it Radiant 6? I forget. No, it was uh, Jigsaw. Jigsaw, that's right. So, that's so. Wild. That's right. When there was a shit, it was even before Radiant Six. So it was yeah. Jigsaw bought um, Salesforce bought Jigsaw. Salesforce bought Jigsaw. Turned it into Data.com. You came over with that, and we we met each other. And you know that was, I mean, that was back before enablement was really a thing, right? Yeah. And and that's really what we're going to talk about today, right? We're going to talk about sales enablement. A couple of different angles on this one. Like, wh- first of all, where it was, where it is, where is it going. But also from a rep standpoint, like what they should be looking at at organizations, you know, who invest in enablement, why, and also a potential career path in enablement, because I think this is just going to get more and more and more uh, prevalent as we go. Um, so, Roderick, why don't you um, why don't you give everybody just a little quick background of what you're doing these days? Because I'm super excited that, that you're off on your own right now, going out and doing the consulting. So, give everybody your kind of thirty second spiel of where you're coming from and where you're from now. Thanks, Andy. Before I do that, I want to give props to you because you are a huge part of what actually helped me kind of jump off the ledge, if you will, to go ahead and hang my shingle. We've been talking about this, what, four or five years, and it finally came to fruition. Yeah. I remember we were talking one day and you're like, dude, if you don't do it now, you're going to wish you did, and I don't want to hear about it later, in typical John Barrow style. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, I do appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. I, t- I always told you, man, like, you know, it's, it's, you got so much knowledge up here that it, it's tough to focus on one company to bring that to, right? Because, I mean, kind of like, you know, our boy Doug Landis, same thing. Yeah. Like, now that he's over at Emergence, like, Doug was, you know, he was fantastic at Box, at Salesforce, at all those different places. But it's like, like, just for one company, it almost seems a shame to, to, to <laughs> also base that knowledge, but not to share that knowledge to, with a whole bunch of other people. And you got a lot of it, right? Thanks, bro. I appreciate that. So real quick on 30 seconds. First and foremost, I'm a sales guy. I'm not a trainer. Yep. And I know it always upsets people. I don't really like trainers, John. And you know why I say that, mm-hmm. right? Not It's not personal. It's Same because you train animals, you enable people. Personal yep. philosophy. I think enablement is something that's in integrating and interwoven into the fabric of a company. And unfortunately, we'll get into this. Unfortunately, training has been labeled kind of a a spot fix, a one-time reactive thing in a lot of folks' minds. So I always want to quantify that. So when I say I'm a sales guy, I carried a bag myself for five years, um, started out as BDR. And John knows I got mad love for BDRs because I understand what your life is like in your role because I have done it. I've dialed for dollars as well. And so then moved into a... uh, bag carrying role, did really well, went to customer, uh, excuse me, went to uh, President's Club a couple times, and then realized I actually really like the process of selling, Mm -hmm. and not the actual taking down of big deals. I know it sounds crazy to a lot of people, Mm -hmm. but I'm a process thinker, and I said, well, what if I could take my processes and my tools and scale them across the entire branch, and at that point, my branch manager said, well, then you'd have a new job, and my thing was, and I give this to BDRs, I love it, put it in writing for me. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And once I had him write, write it down, now we're both committed to this. Yeah. And so I have been very fortunate and blessed over my career to be at some phenomenal companies. I've either started uh, grassrooted or ran enablement 
from onboarding all the way up until the VP executive level at Siebel Systems, Network Appliance, Business Objects, HP, Oracle, Salesforce, and most recently Marketo. And that's when I had gotten to the point to where I said, hey, it is time to move on because at, at uh, one of my previous lives, Serious Decisions, for those that aren't aware of Serious Decisions, there are companies similar to Forrester and Gartner, but they've got one additional component, and that is they do benchmarking. Yeah. And so we were benchmarked against 280 companies, Nike, GM, Quaker Oats, Bank of America, and my team was actually named Sales Enablement Program of the Year. I didn't realize at the time, JB, now, later, that is the equivalent of an Oscar or an Emmy in the sales enablement world. Oh, yeah. I dropped the mic and I'm like, I'm cool. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing else I can do. It's time to go make some money for myself. And like you said, spread the love across multiple companies instead of cording it off behind the walls of one. That's me. I love it, man. And I think that's why you and I vibe so much is that we both have that mentality of like, you know, because there's too many trainers out there that, and you and I both know, like you can't do it, teach it. Right. So, so they kind of get into sales a little bit, for instance, and they kind of get a taste of it and they're like, Oh, I'm either not that good at this, but I can tell people how to do this. And so they get into it. And I'll tell you right now, there's, there's, I think there's other professions out there that you can get away with being kind of a talking head in the sense of going through a slide deck and understanding some nuance yes. about it, being able to you can be a theorist in a lot of other places. Ours, if you're not a practitioner, it's because with sales folks, if you don't know the secret handshake, you're not one of us. You're marketing. Yeah, and you smell up bullshit. You know, you can't the whole we can't bullshit a bullshitter, right? Like exactly. Like I can sniff it out a million and, and I think I've told you this before. I, you know, you appreciate this. What I usually do, and it's kind of mean, but I do it on purpose is I sit in the front. Every time I go through a training, I sit in the front and I let the trainer do that little intro, whatever. But then about a half an hour in, I raise my hand and I say, Hey, could you do me a favor? Could you give me an example of the last time that you applied, whatever you're about to teach me, uh, teach us here and, and give me a res- like what happened? What was the result? And let's go back in, in the time machine. Right. That's how you and I met, right? I and I'll tell I'll tell the world, you broke into Salesforce, and and okay, I helped a little bit, but you <laughs> broke into Salesforce because you came to me with the actual techniques that you teach. Yep. And do you remember what I told you? I don't think so. to be in your hand by the end of the week. I'm sold. We can stop talking now. There now we start talking basketball and other stuff at that point. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You were a practitioner, not a theorist. There's a lot of snake oil salesmen out there. There's a lot of folks that are really giving um, sales and sales enablement a bad name mm-hmm. because they're out there projecting theories. And to your point, it's I'll give an old sports analogy. As a coach, fine, here's how you do a left-hand layup. You jump off your right leg, you lift your left hand, you roll the ball off your fingertips. Okay, coach, show me how to do it. Well, the manual says at that point, you have no credibility with me. Oh, Right. You can't, yeah. I can't teach you something that I've never done. Mm-hmm. And my thing is, if I've never walked in your shoes as a BDR, as a salesperson, et cetera, even as an executive, how can I tell you how comfortable or uncomfortable those shoes are? And what value do I bring to you? Yeah. If I can't give you real life experiences and use cases, I'm worthless to you. I, I, hear and you. I think that's the one thing that both of us bring is, Man, we've got scars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've got some scars, brother. A few less than I'd like, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a, few, a few more than a few I'd more like. More than, than either of us want. But you know what, though? With every scar is a story. Absolutely. Well, and that's what I think enablement really is. is like t- is, is not only telling the stories, but helping other people tell the stories to their cl- customers, right? So, so let's talk about that, right? Because I think you, you hit it on early, uh, you know, 
sales enablement, when you first came on board, like when you said, Hey, I want to bring, I want to create a program around this. And the person was like, all right, well, you know, that's a new job. Again, back in the days, it used to be really thought of as training. Um, and it was like, Hey, here's a trainer. Um, it's obviously evolved quite a bit and I see it evolving quite a lot moving forward. So where's, where's your perspective on where it, where it was kind of back 10, 15 years ago, where it is today and where do you see sales enablement is going? Um, just because I'm one of the more seasoned guys with the gray now, I'll go back 25 years for you. There you go. When I first made the flip and it was pure sales training. It was, let me show you how to do things mm-hmm. the way that I do it. Yep. And we didn't call it best practices. It was just, okay, I, I got this process and it worked for me. Right. And that quickly evolved because only for so long are people going to say, well, great, this is how you did it. But what about everyone else that's doing it and how's that scale and who's doing it better than you? Mm-hmm. And I'm always the first person to say, hey, I use my uncle's quote and I've said it to you a number of times. If you know one more thing than everyone else in the room, you're the subject matter expert. Yep. That only lasts for so long because somebody's going to learn two things right. and three things and so on. And yep. that's been the evolution of sales training to sales enablement. I think the biggest shift that I've seen is it's gone from being spot one time reactive, um, almost self scribe mm-hmm. to really becoming sales partner now. And I go back to what I said earlier, woven into the fabric of the company. And, and I'll give you an example. When I was running enablement in corporate, I even had our sales enablement folks interview prospective new hires, new mm-hmm. hire sellers, because mm-hmm. one, no one joined my team unless they had carried a bag in some capacity. So they could talk the talk and they knew the secret handshake. The other one is we have a completely different BS filter, right? And different set of lenses. And third, we're looking at long-term propensity of -hmm. success, not only in quota, but are they going to be able to and be open to grasping the new change? Because ultimately, we're change management agents. That's really what we do. And so so when we get to that point, just this is a final piece, JB, where I've seen the biggest changes, we're becoming partners. I call us the translators of dialects and languages. And what I mean is, we I don't expect product marketing, product management, marketing, uh, product marketing, et cetera, to speak each other's languages. That's our job. I love it. Translate that into sales, take it out to the field, because I still go out, and even when I was in corporate, I'd go out and meet with customers. Sure. And find out what they need, come back, and then synthesize it, and then translate it into German, French, Spanish, et cetera, that the other different lines of business speak. I think that's the biggest change right there. I love that because I always talk about how there's a huge, you know, and and, and this kind of helps with the sales marketing divide, right? Because uh, there's a huge difference between marketing messaging and sales ready messaging. Oh, absolutely. And unfortunately marketers, so I come from a background of marketing. That was my first degree, right? So I kind of have a health, I have a healthy respect for marketing, but unfortunately marketing thinks they know what sales needs and they stuff it down sales throat and then sales never uses it and never gives any feedback of why, right? But that translation, and I'll give you the easiest example I can ever give to, to, to help people understand the difference between sales versus marketing messaging. Marketing messaging is stuff like, on average, our clients see a 32%, (laughs) up to a 55%, whatever, where sales language is, no, 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 we showed this company in your industry how to do this, and and you fit a similar profile, I want to talk to you about it. Mm -hmm. Bingo, you nailed it. You hit on something earlier, though, like as you were explaining that, that got my attention that I think is really important, which is the whole idea, because right now, enablement's blowing up, but so is now 
everybody knows coaching, for instance, is the biggest value add any manager can do or whatever it is. But I think now I'm starting to hear and see a lot more around real coaching about what is coaching versus conversations and that all, all that other stuff. But coaching is only so good based on is this person coachable? So you said you talked about like how your team was being interjected into the hiring process. How do you identify on whether a rep is actually coachable or some of the things that you did to say, yeah, this rep gets it. Like this is somebody who they might not have the skills right now, but they have the right attitude. They have the right mentality and they are coachable. How would you be able to determine, uh, identify that of a, of a potential new hire here? It's a simple process, three-step process. Listen, okay. learn, and lead. Okay. So first of all, I'll ask questions and I'll sit back and listen and don't ask questions for the sake of being able to interject. Ask the question so you can actually learn from this individual. So it starts with a, a set of questions of understanding who they are, what they are, and what their goals are and how they got here. Because I don't know too many people that majored in sales. Nope, not yet. We all kind of fell into it one way or other. Yep. And so I want to understand what is the genesis and the impetus for them wanting to do this job? Mm-hmm. And is this job just a stepping stone to another job or an inlet into the company that a lot of people do, right? Sure. So that's one piece. The second piece is talking about what success looks like from the successful sales folks that I've talked to and that I've interviewed inside of a given company mm-hmm. and watching the reaction when they find out how much work it takes to be good. Okay. Because as my shirt says, hope is not a strategy. And a lot of people coming in going, I hope I get the right job. I hope I get the right um, manager. I hope that I'm in a great organization. I hope that I'm successful. I hope that I get quota. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Winners, rock stars don't hope. Yep. They plan and then they execute. So I tell them the execution plan and I watch their reaction on whether they're actually open to putting in that kind of work. Mm -hmm. And we've interviewed enough now, you know, when somebody's BSing you and they interview well. Right. right? And the third piece is I talk to them about what we're going to do along with them in enablement and what the expectations are. And also what's the with them for them, what's in it for them and where they're going to get out of it. And again, it's about kind of getting a feel for their reaction and also the kind of questions that they come back with as a follow-up. Or not. Yep. Yeah, I think, uh, so when I used to do this with, when I was at Thrive, my first company, before I was in enablement, I was just a manager. But I, I realized how important, because this is this is actually, I got this from um, from Jack Welsh, right? GE Jack Welsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, for all yeah. those kids out there, go look him up. Greatest, greatest CEO go of all time. Absolutely right? amazing. So I worked, so you know, I worked for him for a few months. But before that, my company Thrive got, we got to about 50 people. And I remember like my biggest, and for those of you who are listening out there who are going to start companies or go there, 50 is around a, a 50 people is around a, a frustrating part for a business owner or somebody who starts. Cause this is what happens, right? Usually like two, three, four, five people start the company. Everybody's all fired up, passionate about everything. Right. And then 20, 30 people, still people, you know, fired up, whatever it is around almost exactly 50 people. The 51st person you hire is just there for a job. You know what I mean? So, so what I did was, and I, I always used to get frustrated because I was like, why aren't these people as bought in? And I, I've come down off the mountain, like everybody needs to be an A player. I disagree with that because you have a team full of A players, it ends up ripping apart each other at the, the- at the seams. Yeah. You need B players. You need people who are just going to show up and do their job and do it well. Yeah. 
So I remember asking Jack Welsh, I was like, he came to like a, a you know, a Boston work, you know, seminar, just sits there and he answers questions, right? So I got up 800 people. I was like, hey, Jack, 50 people, that 51st person like doesn't have the passion. And my question was this, and it was a, it was a stupid question, but, and he told me it was, uh, I said, <laughs> I asked Jack, Jack yeah, well, he's another Bostonian, right? So, so I was like, Jack, you talk a lot about passion and all this other stuff. I go, look, we've hired 50 at the 51st person. That person just doesn't seem to have the passion that I do. Like, how do you instill your passion on somebody else? And he said, you're wrong. He's like, you're looking at it all wrong. You can't instill your passion on anybody else. You have to hire passion. Yep. And that changed my entire philosophy around hiring. Instead of hiring for skill, background, and ability, I hired for coachability, passion, and drive. Cause I can teach that other stuff. And so the way I figured out some of kid was coachable was I would ask them questions, my typical interview questions, whatever. Then I would give them a scenario to do a cold call thing. And I would say, what did you used to sell? Say they used to sell cell phones or anything, whatever they were most comfortable selling. I was like, cool. I'm a, I'm a target audience for you. Go in the other room, cold call me. And all you want to do is get a meeting. Right? So we go through that little role play. I'd come back, I'd give them feedback. And then I'd give them, tell them what you did well and what you didn't. Then I'd send them back and I'd have them do another cold call. And now it was to cold call me as Thrive Networks. And all they were trying to do was get a meeting with me for IT services. And it didn't matter if they were awesome on that second one. It mattered is if, if they took what I told them and applied it to that second call. Are they coachable? Right. And that's why I always say it's, it's listen, learn, then lead. Yeah. The problem is a lot of folks want to go that third first. I love it. So let's now flip it over on the other side. I'm a rep right now. So... As, as employee, as, as company people, we're looking for people to bring on that are coachable that we can put into a system and make sure. Right now, our generation's off compared to this generation, right? I don't know about you, but when you, like for me, when I was in like sales, it was give me a territory, tell me how much money I can make and please get the fuck out of my way, right? I don't need this team building shit. I don't need a badge. I, just leave me alone. Let me go, right? Today's world, totally different, right? Yeah. Money's a factor, obviously, but a huge factor is whether a rep or, or an, forget about a sales rep, and in general, an employee feels like they're being taken care of by the company, they're being invested in those type of things. Yeah, they need to be valued and invested in. Absolutely. So, so if you're a rep out there, say you're a 22, and, and this isn't, I don't think, a lot of things that sales that, like reps think about as far as like the enablement department of the company, right? When they look at a job, they look at, is it a cool company? Do I believe in their product maybe? You know, and, and can I get paid, Right. I think enablement should start to be a part of that equation as far as people looking at other companies. So if I'm a rep, how should I be looking at, and so maybe it's a startup company that doesn't have a lot of money or whatever it is, but how should I be looking at them and evaluating them from a continuous learning and improvement standpoint? What should I be looking for? Well, I think there's a few things to look for. Uh, first and foremost, I always look at, is this a product-driven company? Is it a service-driven company? Is it a customer-driven company? Or is it an engineering-driven company? Because you know that every one of those I just said yep. has a completely different uh, agenda. Yeah. <laughs> and what I need to know, and the reason I always look at you need to understand where your personality fits. Right. If it's an engineering-driven company, that's not you, don't go there. I don't care how cool the logo is, right? I'll, and I always look at it from the perspective of how easy is it or was it for me to get an informational interview with someone in that company? There you go. Yep. Right. You, you've got a ton of social media at your hand. You can touch almost anybody on the planet. And yeah. the, you know, as well as I do, JB, the most non-threatening question on the planet is, 
can I get you to talk about yourself? Mm -hmm. I need an informational interview, right? If it's easy to crack that, that says something about the company. If you get no response, that also says something about the culture of the company. Because at 22, and what I wish somebody would have told me at 22 that I now know, oh, 30 years later, is one of the most important factors of a company is not the logo, what they sell, or who their customers are. That is clearly intangibles. One of the most important things about a company is, will I fit into their culture? Not are they what I'm looking for, but will I fit into their culture? Yep. Because corporate, and and for the folks listening at 22, I'm going to say something and it's going to sound harsh, but you need to hear it. I'm going to keep it 100 with you. One, corporate America is here to make a profit, not friends. They're not hiring you because they like you. Mm -hmm. Right. And secondly, you have to get everything you can out of a corporation from a learning perspective, from a value perspective, from a compensation perspective. Because believe me, the moment that you walk out of that door, or if they know ahead of time, there's already a job wreck that's being released to replace you. So yeah. this has to be for you. Everyone says it's got to be mutually equitable. It's not going to be. It's not. Because of the end of the- corporate America is like Vegas. They are all, the house is always going to win. Always going to win. The key is that you get enough little nibbles so that, and I'll give you in a gambling <laughs> analogy, like the, the old Vegas days, give me enough to keep me there. Yeah. And keep me satisfied to hang around. Yeah. And, and of course, I'm going to have a couple drinks along the way, sure. right? Yep. Look at this. I look at corporate America the very same way. Give me enough to feel valued, validated, and compensated at a level that I feel comfortable mm-hmm. and is commiserate to what I'm giving to the company. Yep. If that's not happening, wrong place. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's, I don't think enough sales reps interview the company. I, well, I think enough senior reps. Yeah. Like you and me, like when we're, if we were to ever interview for another job, like it's on the flip side, like I'm interviewing you. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds arrogant, but do I want to work with you? Not do you guys want me? Well, and also, by the way, one of the most frustrating things for me as a former hiring manager was when the rep didn't ask any questions. I actually use that as a huge negative. Like if, oh, if that was a red flag. Good rep, right. Say you interviewed well and you went through that process and I flipped it back to you and, you, and so what questions do you have for me? And you had none. Like that was a huge, like, okay, never mind. Oh, I'm done with you. Yeah. Because sales, especially a sales role, sales is ultimately all about staying curious. Right. And if you didn't get enough out of the conversation and to glean a few questions right. or didn't prepare ahead of time, that lets me also know about your prep towards yeah. self. Absolutely. So, so let's talk about, so I, I, I think looking for enablement, what the client the company's philosophy is on, on enablement, looking for what happens after my quote unquote onboarding and how else am I engaged moving forward are all the super important things. But let's say there's those reps out there that, that, that the company hasn't invested in enablement. They, they do kind of a one-off training every once in a while, but whatever. If you were that 22, 24, 25 year old kid out there, you know, nothing bothers me more than asking like, oh, well, where do my leads come from? Or what what, what do you invest in me? Because I'm, you know, blah, like, so let's flip the script and say, okay, proactively as a, as a sales rep, what could you do free of charge or even maybe spending a few bucks if your company is maybe legit, you like your company, you like your boss, but they're just not investing you as a, tra- like t- from a continuous improvement standpoint, what are some of the things that you should be doing uh, that you could be doing to help improve yourself on a consistent basis. Low key guerrilla marketing. <laughs> Honestly, yep. make yourself a visible presence and a subject matter expert 
on something. Don't try to be the jack of all trades. Figure out what you're doing really well and then start sharing, sharing that. And the best thing you can do is make leadership your megaphone. Let them market you. Don't market yourself because then it comes off as, oh, this person's just trying to be seen. Right, right. But go to, if you have a mentor, if you have a sponsor, go to them and say, hey, can you help me amplify this? I've been really good at it. it it's working well. And I really personally want to share it. Mm-hmm. with my, my team, the office, with our company. What's the best way to get this out, right? And from me personally, I'd say um, start getting a part of team meetings and carving out a little piece, having your manager carve out a little piece and say, hey, this is what XYZ person did really well. I'm going to have him or her share this with you yep. on how it's going, right? The other piece is, Having them market not just across, but market up for you. So if you're in, for example, you're in the West region, there's still your central and there's your East region. Have your manager say, you know what? This is working really good over here. You guys should take a peek at this mm-hmm. and have them talk to their peers about you and start doing those things. Another thing is we've got social media. Now, I know there's a lot of video out there of folks talking about how good they are. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Find some things that are working really well. And start putting that out on Facebook, excuse me, on link on LinkedIn video, native video, and say, hey, and, and I always tell people, explain what it is and the value of what you're about to do, as opposed to why I'm telling you this, which is very different. Yep. Right. So get it out there and start getting your, the name out. If you've got folks in your network that can help you, that are connected to other, say, leaders inside your company, mm-hmm. have that person talk to that leader on your behalf. Yeah. Right. And, and ha- the, the key is have others amplify you, but make sure you have a plan on. And there's also value. The last part, John, is everything that you do has to be time bound and measurable. There has to be metrics to it. Otherwise, you're hoping that it works. Right. Hey, I did this perfect example. And I'll just give a personal one. We were in one company. We were able to trim, trim time to first close for new hires from 88 to 54 days. Yep. 30%. And in mm-hmm. transversely, that means you're getting more revenue. That means that people are ramping up faster. That also means that you're leading to to happier employees. When you can have those hard line metrics, that's enablement. Totally. Yeah. And I think that, and I think that goes to the point of like, if you think this is a career for you. So I think continuous improvement, you should always be focused on learning something new on a regular basis, but also for you internally, like you said, you're a process guy, right? Like, outlining your process and excelling at your process because the key of enablement is being able to teach everybody else how you do what, you know, to have some consistency. You can't have a rock star teaching people. Like I always say with Picasso, right? Picasso is my favorite artist. I was never, you know, cubism blows my mind. There's no way that I could ever become Picasso. But if, but if I took a paint by numbers class and they said, John, put yellow there, orange there, red there, and allowed me to mix the colors together a little bit, like I could come pretty damn close. And I think that's what you need to be. You don't need to be a script by number, say exactly the same thing, but you need to have some structure to it. So everybody's following a similar playbook, but until you outline what yours is and then apply it, like you're not going to be able to teach anybody else how to do it. Right. There's one other thing that just came to mind. That is um, ask people that have done this already ahead of you and that are smarter than you at doing it. So yep. uh, an example is there's something for that. Those out there that are not aware, there's something called the sales enablement society. And what that is, is, and I happen to be one of the founding members that happens to be 
an organization that we're trying to build up consistent nomenclature, processes, tools, explanations, et cetera, around sales enablement for people like yourself that are just coming in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's hundreds of years collectively of best practices and actual practical application of these things. Yep. And in every region in uh, the globe, as a matter of fact, now, the Sales Enablement Society is there. And don't recreate the wheel. Yeah, don't. And I got, so I got one more question because I think this leads into something that is, that I'm sure you get a lot, I get a lot. Like somebody sees me do a training and they then inevitably at least two or three reps come after me afterwards and say, hey, John, I'm kind of curious. I, I, I really love what you do. And I think I want to move in that direction to be a trainer, to be in a, you know, somebody in enablement. So first of all, how do you know that enablement is a career for you outside of like sales or marketing or something like that? How do you, how did you know that this was something that I, I it's, it's a bigger than just me as an individual. And then um, what, what are some of the steps you'd recommend those people taking in the short term to kind of really vet out whether this is something that they want to build their career around? Great questions. Um, let's take the first one. How did I know? First and foremost, I had been, I had excelled and done everything that I personally wanted to do in my role in sales. Okay. Now, again, I, that I personally wanted to do. Now, there's always going to, when you're a rock star, we know, John, they're going to want to move you in a direction, either upward into sales leadership or yep. across into another role. Never let anyone else drive your career because no one has the best and interest in it that you do. So set your goals on what you want to do in whatever role you're in now. And when you've attained all those goals, then start looking. I always take a 24-month perspective with an 18-month recap to see if I'm going to be able to meet my goals in that next six months. And it could be 12 months, 18 months, whatever it is. Yeah. The first one. Once you've achieved everything you wanted to. Now, the second question, how do you migrate into it? It starts with those informational interviews that I talked about earlier. Yeah. Because in every company, sales enablement means something different and is a different role. Yeah. So in some, it could be heavy on the ops side. Does that fit your personality and where you want to take your career? On others, it's it's all about change management. In others, it's still a lot of stand and deliver type. And so it's what do you want to do and where do you want to go? Ultimately, and I'm not talking about what's your three to five year plan. No, nothing like that. It's if I were to move right now, what would I want to do? What I did moving across, and I keep the whiteboard, and I'll show you right now. I keep that whiteboard up on the wall. I've segmented it into three pieces, right? And this is how I I moved into my business, similar to someone migrating. Three distinct pieces. One, what am I really good at? Two, um, what is it that I love to do? And three, what would pay me to do? Yep. Right? And, And moving towards enablement, I had to look at those three things and go, wow, there's more over here, there's less over here, but the balance will really point. And I mentor a lot of millennials, as you know, John, and I always tell them the same thing. Um, You've got to do what makes you happy because you'll find six to eight jobs in your life, your career will find you. Enablement, if it's what you're meant to do, you'll see the process piece coming out of those interviews those conversations, going to the Sales Enablement Society meetings, going to various conferences like ATD and those kind of things. Um, and you'll go, wow, something will just flip the switch and that light will turn on for you. And, and it's enablement's a funny thing. If the light does not turn on for you right away, it's not meant for you. Well, yeah. If, right. if it doesn't it's get like you, you guys, it's like building a quarterback, John. 
Yep. You can't create a quarterback. It's innate. You can give them the skills, right. but you're not going to make a Tom Brady. And you know how hard that was for me to say, by the way. <laughs> no, I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> so, well, really, uh, you're not going to make that. You can get someone that's going to be good, but right. if the light bulb doesn't turn on for you right away after you've done your interviews, you've done your your informational pieces, you've gone to a couple of conferences, mm-hmm. you've talked to some of the best and the best, you connected with people on social media and found out different approaches and philosophies, it's not meant for you. If yeah. you get jazzed over that, jump in with both feet. And don't be afraid. Don't wade in the pool. Jump in. I, I love it, man. It's just funny because last thing I'll say is when I, I never thought of enablement as something I was going to do and I got the opportunity to, and I remember vividly, I, I, I as part of my interview for Basho, I had to train them on something. Didn't know what I was, so I was like, all right, I picked something, but I didn't know how to train. So I went to old school. I, you'll love this. I went oh, to, my goodness. I went to Barnes and Noble and picked up trainings for dummies. No joke. Because I didn't know what I didn't know, right? So so I was literally a dummy. And and there's a there's a section in here that says what trainers do. It's on the first page. And I read through every single one of these things and I was like, damn, I love all that shit. Yeah. And it was like, it was to your point, it was like a light bulb that went off on me. I was like, apparently I'm supposed to be a trainer because yeah. everything about what they describe, what the responsibilities and that type of stuff were fit exactly with what I was truly, not that I just liked to do, but I loved doing. And, um, and so it was something where kind of that light bulb hit me pretty quick and I took to it like a fish to water. So here's a couple of things. One, I equate enablement to something like, uh, finding your major in college. We find and then we pursue it in college or university, right? Now, I'll also give you a flip side. Enablement is a lot like college and marriage. And what I mean is it's a great institution, but it's not meant for everybody. Yeah. And it takes some work. It's a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. Because you think about um, things like our our presentations we do and the hours we put in in pre-prep. You think about putting together a workshop. By the time we step into a room for a workshop or we jump on something like this, guess what? Our work is done. Yeah. Once you say, good morning, everybody, welcome, it's a moving stream. Yeah. I don't care what you do. You cannot change the course of what's going to happen that day. Nope. And, and as experienced guys, John, um, would you agree that if something can happen bad, it's going to happen at the worst time in front of the biggest audience possible? Yep. It's Multiple. about how you deal with that that tells yep. me whether or not you're built for enablement. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Cool. Well, like we said in the beginning, man, I think we could have this conversation for another six hours. We could, you and I could just chill regardless, but, uh, but we're going to cut it short here. Probably have you on again here in the next few months, but uh, Roderick, tell, tell everybody what you're, what, what is RJ? What are you guys doing now? And, and, and who are you looking for and how can people uh, get in touch with you? Sure. So Roderick Jefferson Associates, we are a consulting firm and we're focused on kind of small to medium sized businesses, usually in that 10 to $500 million range. And, how do I know that? How do you know if you need us or not? Well, there's a few things. First of all, companies that are in hyper growth mode. Secondly, companies that may have just purchased a um, learning platform, a, a LearnCore, MindTickle, or something of that sort. Mm-hmm. Third, companies that are having problems um, with their churn of sellers, right? Or companies that have that senior manager or maybe that director level enablement resource in place, but not at the VP level yet and you're looking for some best practices and looking for some tools and templates to get to that next level, to scale and expand your organization, or even establish a sales enablement function. 
Cool. So, and by the way, companies, if anybody's out there listening, the sooner you can invest in enablement, the better, because you don't want to build your business on a house of cards because eventually it's going to punch you in the face. Mm. You're going to realize you're going to need something and then you're going to be playing catch up and it's not easy to play catch up in this world. So for anybody out there, even thinking about where they need to be from an enablement standpoint or when to invest, give Roderick a call. Roderick, what is it? Roderick Jefferson at, on, on LinkedIn, those places too? On LinkedIn, it's um, Roderick Jefferson Associates. You can find me on Twitter at The Voice of Rod. You can find us at the website at RoderickJefferson.com. And John, there's one other piece to the, the business, and that is also leadership development and executive coaching. That's right. Yep. Which is, which is yet, I mean, even almost even more important, right? Because if leadership and everybody isn't coaching to it, there's nothing somebody like you and I could do to make sure that this stuff sticks, right? Absolutely. All right, my friend. Well, as always, pleasure. Uh, tell the wife and family I said hello, and uh, I'll probably I'm actually going to be out in San Francisco this week. So if you're going to be in the city, let me know because I'm going to be there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, training a bunch of people. So I'll be in the city all week. And unfortunately, I'm in Phoenix this week, starting tomorrow. But I will see you in Boston in a couple of weeks. Yes, indeed. All right, my friend. You have a great week. All right. You do the same, man. Looking forward to catching up. Right, Thanks right. again, Jamie. Talk soon. Thank you.